Wasn't that a sweet, sweet time of worship? I tell you, South City Church is blessed to have those leading us that are leading in our worship. Thank you, especially this morning, Daryl and, and Drew, for this tremendous time of preparing our hearts uh, to go to His Word. God is so good to us. And I'm excited these days about our, our continuing our study in the book of Acts. I'm so glad that Brother Drew has led us in this study. And uh, so thankful that we are able to look at the church in its early stages and see what kind of church it is, it was, and see what kind of church we want our church to be. And that's the objective. That's the goal. Uh, we want to be like that early church because it was a church that honored God with proclaiming and preaching the message of God. It was a church that went out to reach those around them. And it was a church that loved its members, and cared for them. And I'm thankful that today we can continue in that study. We're looking at Acts chapter 8 uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles and would like to read along, we're going to make reference to most of this chapter. And I'm so thankful that, uh, that in this chapter today, we are able to see the fulfillment of, uh, of verses or of uh, uh, prophecies, uh, uh, commands that Jesus gave. Uh, it's so good to see that, that things were not just written down uh, and then forgotten, but uh, in the future they, become, uh, they begin to come to pass. And when they did, there was excitement and there was joy. Now, this verse, this chapter starts out with a, a verse, and it has a phrase at the beginning that's a little unusual. The phrase that I want us to look at is this phrase, and Saul approved of his execution. Here we have two characters or two references made to different two different people Saul and the references made to uh, Stephen also uh, Saul is the first one and uh, he is introduced to us in uh, chapter 7 verse verse 58 where the scripture says then uh, then they cast him, and that is Stephen. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As I said, Stephen is the second person mentioned in this phrase. Stephen is the name, the first name that is mentioned of the seven deacons 
that were set apart, ordained uh, by the church of Jerusalem to do a specific ministry. He is the first name that is mentioned there. Our pastor preached a message last week, tremendous message, on the stoning of Stephen. He told us what kind of man Stephen was, a man filled with the Holy Ghost, a man that had great character, a man that was passionate about proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. But here in this statement that is made, the Scripture says, Saul, and some translations say it this way, was consenting to the death of Stephen. John Gill, that old British Puritan writer, says this, The word here used signifies not a bare consent only, but a consent with pleasure and delight. He was well pleased with it. It rejoiced his very heart. He joined with others in it with the utmost pleasure and satisfaction. Saul was not just consenting to the death of Stephen. It was something that uh, he got great pleasure from by seeing Stephen stoned. What's the reason? Why is it that uh, Saul was uh, so uh, happy to see Stephen stoned to death? Stone, uh, Steve, uh, Saul was uh, a, a Hellenistic Jew. He uh, was a, uh, a, a he, he was a Hebrew, uh, but he was also of, uh, uh, of other lineage. And Stephen also was a Hellenistic Jew. And these men, both of them, no doubt, worshipped in the synagogues around Jerusalem of the Hellenists. So I can see it all playing out how that Stephen, being the, the passionate person that he was uh, about preaching the message of Jesus Christ, would stand in the synagogues and he would preach about Jesus. He would tell about his coming to this earth. He would talk about the sinless life that, that he had lived and his great ministry that he had while he was here on this earth. He talked about his death, the way that he died. And he also talked about his resurrection. Well, these words would infuriate Saul more. Saul hated Christ. Saul hated the believers. He was uh, happy to see that mob as they, as they grabbed uh, Stephen on this day and drug him outside the city and stoned him. Now the scripture tells us as we continue in that verse 
And there arose on that day. What day? The day of the stoning of Stephen. There arose on that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. We're introduced to the word persecution. We look it up in the dictionary and it tells us to treat someone cruelly or unfairly, especially because of race or religion or political beliefs. The dictionary gives us a full definition saying that it is to harass or punish in a manner designated to injure, grieve, or afflict, specifically to cause to suffer because of belief. So on this day, a great persecution arose, and historians say that probably on this day was was one of the greatest events that, uh, in, in history as, as to uh, what happened with the church because that day they began to do what Saul uh, uh, did, and we'll read about it a little bit uh, later on. But over, the over, said over 2,000 people were killed or imprisoned on that day, on this day. This was persecution that the church had not known. Now, they had been persecuted before, but most of the persecutions had been directed to the apostles. We read in Acts chapter 4 where they arrested them, the scripture says, and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening here they are arrested and put in jail. This was only Peter and John. They were just detained. They were not physically afflicted in any way, verbally reprimanded and, and uh, commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Acts chapter 5 tells us, and when they had called in the apostles... They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. This time, it was Peter and the apostles. Physical abuse was involved. They beat them. Then in chapter 7, we see persecution taken to a whole new level. The mob was infuriated at the preaching of Stephen they couldn't stand the words that they had heard uh, uh, from the Holy Spirit. It convicted them to the to their bottom of their souls, and they were screaming out, and they were crying out, and they, and they took Stephen, and they took him out and stoned him. They murdered him. John MacArthur says, The death of Stephen was the trigger that launched the slaughter of Christians. There was no doubt that Satan intended the death of Stephen to be the death blow to this Christian faith. 
He wanted to put it to rest. I can just hear Satan as he says, we'll, we'll show these Christians. Not only will we, keep, we put them in jail, uh, but we'll start taking their lives. And so the great persecution arose. The scripture continues by saying, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Satan says, we're going to, we're going to stamp them out. We're going, to, we're going to stomp them to death. We're going to, we're going to kill them. Like Arthur says, it's like you're trying to, to stomp out a fire with your feet. And when you stomp it, the, the, in, the embers begin to fly and the wind catches it and it takes it into the dry forest and everywhere an ember uh, falls down. Uh, there's a flame that comes and, and there's a fire that begins to burn and as it is as it was with the church on the, at this time, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And in a portion of this verse of Scripture, we see the, the fulfillment of Acts chapter 8, where Jesus had said to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. I'm sure when those disciples heard that word from Jesus, they probably thought, how great. We're going to receive a special power. There's going to be a special force that's with us, and we're going to be able to go and, and to all the world and take the gospel. Little that did they know that the power that they were being promised of God was the power to endure persecution. It was the persecution that spread the church on that day. It was the persecution that caused the church of the living God to go to the four corners of the earth. As we move to verse 2, the scripture says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. You might wonder, what's that verse doing here in the middle of this? Well, we don't have time to, to spend uh, a lot of time here, but, uh, but there was something uh, uh, special about these devout men they actually were breaking uh, again uh, uh, tr Jewish traditions. They were going against the Sanhedrin because in the eyes of the Sanhedrin, Stephen was being stoned uh, as uh, uh, an outcast, as a, uh, as a criminal. 
and criminals uh, were to not receive uh, any respect in burial. And in fact, there was a special place that they were supposed to have been taken and buried. And, 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 there, was, uh, uh, and there was no lamenting. There was, uh, there was no sorrowing. There was uh, no tension that was given uh, uh, to these people. But devout men rose up on this occasion and they took Stephen and they prepared him as their customs were uh, for that burial. And in the face of opposition, in the face of, the, of, the, of defying the Sanhedrin, uh, they lamented uh, greatly over Stephen. They, they uh, uh, declared what a, what a wonderful, uh, great man, what a godly man he was. So there was lament, great lamentation made over him. Verse 3 continues, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. House to house. You can see the angry mob, this bloodthirsty crew, as they've stoned Stephen and, and the thrill that they got from it and the fact that they said, we've put this down now. There are others that are just like them. Let's go get them. And you can see uh, how that it, uh, that it began to build and build. And they said, well, where do they live? And they began to go from house to house searching for these Christians. They drug them out of their house. No respect for, for gender, men and women, children as well, and committed them to prison. Persecution started at a new level. Before Jesus left, he set his disciples down and he talked to them about this subject. Persecution. What did Jesus tell his disciples about persecution? We turn to John chapter 15. We hear these words from the Lord. If, this, uh, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He continues. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In the next chapter, John 16, Jesus said, They will put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you 
will think he is offering service to God. The disciples heard those very sobering words. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. There will come a time when whoever kills you, they will think that they are offering service to God. Now that's what Paul thought, or Saul thought, when, when he was persecuting the Christians. He thought he was doing service to God. He thought he was being a devout Jew. He thought he was doing that in order to honor God. Well, that's what people have done for centuries and are doing until today with the church. They are slaying innocent people thinking they are pleasing their God. I've had the very distinct privilege of sitting with hundreds of believers from countries of the former Soviet Union and heard their testimonies of persecution. When the Berlin Wall fell and we had the freedom to enter Eastern Europe, our churches supported 288 national missionaries from 12 nations of the former Soviet Union. It was my responsibility, since there was no other avenue, to go at least every three months to these countries to take them their, their funds to support them. But my first experience of being in the midst of these some of uh, some of these believers was in the country of Kazakhstan. I was leaving Moscow late at night. My flight was to arrive in northwestern Kazakhstan in a small city there about three o'clock in the morning. I didn't know the first person there. I was told that, that uh, the pastor would probably meet me at the airport. I was hoping he would. When I got to the, the airport about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, there were about 40 people that met me. We greeted each other and it's, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak Russian, but we greeted each other and, and I, I just felt a bond that I'd never felt before. I finally, through a translator, said to the pastor, what are, what are we going to do now? We were just standing talking and hugging on each other and, and he's, I thought, we'll go to, the, to a home and We'll go to bed. But he said, we're going to a believer's house. 30 to 40 people crowded in that little house. And he said, we're going to have a service. Four o'clock in the morning. Before it started, I said, I'd like to get to know y'all. I want you to tell me who you are. 
They started one by one going around the room telling me they were pastoring and they were working with children and they were doing this and that and about their ministry. And they began to say, or it came up to one man and, and uh, he said, I'm a pastor. I just got back in my pulpit. Uh, I just got out of prison. I've been in prison 15 years. I said, whoa. I'd never been in the presence of people that had given their lives for the sake of Christ and been imprisoned. I just stopped the meeting, went over to him and hugged him and thanked him. That was just the beginning. It was from there. Hundreds and hundreds of people in the days that were there. And Brother Jeff Franks is here. He spent 22 years in the Ukraine. And he was with me many of those times translating for me. And we heard people tell about how they've, they'd, they would give up all that they had and all their li their lives in order to, to stay true to the teaching of God's Word. I've been blessed to be able to preach in that great Central Baptist Church in Moscow, the only evangelical church that was allowed uh, during the time of the Soviet Union to exist for over 70 years. What a wonderful experience it is uh, to be in that building and on Sunday mornings it is literally packed. All the pews are packed. The people begin to fill the aisles and they, they, they stand in the aisles. And it's a, a standing on the stage looking down on it. It's one of the most uh, uh, encouraging pictures that you'll ever see. You see the, the, the pews are all filled. The people are standing in, in the aisle going and there's an aisle at the back and there are people standing in the aisle at the back. And there's the vestibule that goes out. And they're standing in the vestibule. And it makes a beautiful cross of people worshiping God. More than one time, women would come to me and say, the KGB was always present with us. They would stand in, in, the, in the back on the walls. And during the service sometimes, they would walk down the aisle. They would tap someone on the shoulder that was in the pew. And they would take them out. And women have said, I've never seen my husband again. These are people that we've learned that have spent 5, 10, 15, 20 years of their lives in prison just because they preach the message of Jesus Christ. One man told us that he'd been in jail, had been in prison, he was in prison for 
for uh, 10 years and he got out of prison again. He went back to preaching in his church and, and they came uh, uh, after him again. He began to uh, let children come because they, they wouldn't allow children to come to church. They let children come and then, and then they, they took him again and put him back in prison for another five years just because he did that. This past Thursday, I sat with a missionary from Lebanon. He told me the story of a young teacher in the high school in Beirut, Lebanon, who had gone to the home of one of his students to, to help him uh, with his uh, lessons. And, and in the course of the, uh, the time there, uh, he began to talk about uh, Christ and, and the sister of this young man uh, was interested and she began to ask questions and, and she came to know Christ as her Savior. The family was infuriated. That evening they took this young teacher, strapped dynamite around his neck, exploded the dynamite, and the missionary said we were only able to recognize him because of his clothing. A young lady came to know Christ in the country of Jordan. Her parents were upset and infuriated and, and they disowned her. The father confronted her while she was out in public, walking down the streets, and with a, a knife, he killed her. And then he directed the traffic in the streets to run over her body just because she believed in Christ. We were told later that that same father came to the pastor who had who had uh, killed his daughter and he said I want to know I want you to tell me about this faith that my daughter had that would cause her not to deny it but to go to her death at my hands because of it persecution is the name of the game with Christians have we heard well this morning what God said to his disciples then the world will hate you they do not like your message they don't like our message they will hate you and we don't have time but we need to to be more attuned to it and what is happening here in the United States. Well, we must continue now. The scripture says that these were scattered and went about preaching the word. What they did, wherever they went, they preached. We're turned to another character in this story. He's Philip. Philip was the second name of the list of seven. He was a man that was like Stephen was. 
filled with the Holy Spirit. A preacher, a proclaimer of God's word. The Bible says that he went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. John Gill says that he said Christ, that he preached, Christ was come in the flesh, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, and that the Son, and he was the Son of God, and that and the alone Savior of men, who by his obedience suffered as sufferings and death hath wrought righteousness procured peace and pardon and obtained eternal redemption for his people and was risen again and ascended into heaven and was set down at the right hand of God where he ever uh, lived to make intercession and would come again a second time to judge both the quick and the dead. That's the preaching of God's word. That's what must be proclaimed today. Well, when we come to this point, we come to an example of two different professions of faith. When Philip preached that message, the Bible says, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Philip was able to perform miracles. He had signs which was a verification of the message that he proclaimed. The Bible continues for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice. Came out of many who had, uh, who had them and many uh, were uh, paralyzed or lame and were healed. I love the next verse. So there was much joy in that city. When Christ is proclaimed and people hear the message, there's joy. Remember when Christ first came into your heart. The joy that was there. These people were happy also because their friends uh, who were sick were being healed. And, and they were being set free from the demons that possessed them. That's what happens when God's people proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. There's great joy. Well... The scene changes. The scripture says, but. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because uh, for a, a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
But when they believed Philip, as, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Well, we're going to skip some of it. Uh, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem heard about it. Uh, they came to, uh, uh, to Samaria uh, where Philip was. And uh, uh, they came uh, to verify the fact that these Samaritans, these outcasts, were coming to know Christ. They came down the Bible says, and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, this continues when Simon saw this, he'd seen, he'd seen something like, that he had never seen before in all of his, in all of his trickery and all of his uh, deception of the people and deceiving them with his uh, magic spells and performances. This was something that, that he had never seen before. He, he, he needed that. He wanted that. Man, it'll help me. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to... Uh, uh, to get greater crowds, uh, people will say greater things about me. So he came to the disciples, uh, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So much in here that, we're not, that we don't, won't have time for. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in, uh, uh, are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter recognized Simon for who he was. He recognized that Simon did not have a pure heart before God. He recognized that his profession was a false profession. And he called him out. And he said to him, your heart is not right with God. Repent and see if possible 
the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Simon had a heart problem. He was looking at Christianity and the powers of of the disciples as only a thing that could better him. And I hate to say today, but there exists in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ the Simon heart. There are those who would come and be among us and be baptized and, and attend and, uh, and, uh, and want to be a part of us only for the things that they can receive from it. They're, they need a heart change. God forbid that we today would be among the Simon professors of Christianity. That we would join in with those who had great joy because they received the whole of the word of God proclaimed by Philip. Their lives were truly changed. Things really happened in their lives. Simon answered him, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. You read in this and there are scholars that have a whole lot to say about it. Some one this way, some that way. But most agree this, this was not a sincere request of Peter to pray for Simon what did Peter say repent what does a person do when they repent Peter said you pray you call upon the Lord the scripture says that if Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It didn't say that if someone else prayed for you, you could be saved. And so, some say in a scoffing, sneering way, Simon said, well, you pray for me that that won't happen to me. These are the examples of the different types of professions of faith, the true and the false. This scripture ends with an exciting thing. Now when they had testified and spoken the the word of the Lord, they, that meaning the disciples from Jerusalem, They returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The disciples, the apostles had been with Jesus many times or a number of times through the country of Samaria. But this time 
before they had gone through the country, before they only stopped with the example of the woman of the well, and, and uh, uh, they had not been preaching the message to them. But this time, now things had changed. Uh, Samaritans were receiving Christ as their Savior, and now they went on their way back to Jerusalem to many villages preaching to the Samaritans. Their hearts had been touched by what the Holy Spirit had, uh, had done in the, in the land of Samaria. And they were excited to share with those Samaritans the message of Jesus Christ. This is because persecution started in Jerusalem. Today, We've read, we've read about China, the persecution in China, and how, as they've tried to, to stamp out Christianity, house churches by the hundreds and thousands have been formed throughout that country. Probably more evangelism going on in China now than in other, any other country. And it's because the church has been spread because of persecution. Something to think about. This morning I would like to close with this. We think sometimes about persecution. We hear these words that Jesus said to his disciples and we say, wow, I wonder how I'd stack up. I wonder how I'd do if persecution came. I'm reminded of reading about Corey Tin Boone. When she was a little girl, we know the story of how they helped so many, uh, so many Jews in, uh, in Nazi Germany. And she was talking to her father one time and they were seeing the persecution that was going on and it was touching her, her little heart. And, and she, she came to her father and she said, uh, she said Father, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can be brave. I, I don't know that I will have the strength to go through it when it comes down to me. And her father said, Corey... You know, when we go on trips on the train, when is it that I give you your ticket to get on the train? And she said, well, Father, it's always just before I get on the train. And he said, yes, you didn't need it until then. And he said, that's the way it is with God. When the time comes, when you need the strength, when you need the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, then God will be there to give it to you that you might endure, that you may go through. I don't know what's ahead for us. I know our government's getting more involved day by day in businesses, small businesses and and Christian people are being persecuted. I don't know what it's coming down to.
But I just pray that we'll understand that God was in it. And God used it to spread His church. And that we, as His people, just need to give ourselves to Him to be used in whatever way that will be. And don't worry. God will see us through. This morning as we have our invitation, we want to offer to you an opportunity to come to the altar to pray. And we desire that you would search your hearts. See what it is that your heart, see what is in your heart. Is, is it a pure heart? Why, why are you coming and embracing Christianity? God help us that it's not like Simon. Let's be among those early disciples that was where it was real and there was great joy. Let's stand.